Mercy occurs whenever the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That, that is 110 proof, straight up mercy. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is writer, speaker, pastor, and my good friend, Phil Anderson. Words give shape to our common values and experiences. Words reveal a culture's shared life, hopes, longings, and fears. When a new word enters our culture or one leaves, it can serve as a sort of prophetic mirror to who we as a collective society are becoming. Linguists would say we no longer use words like felicity, temperance, genteel, because these words represent concepts that we as a culture no longer embody, and thus the word has lost its relevance to our lives. Phil Anderson has spent the last year studying a word that seems to be fading from the American lexicon. That word is mercy. In Phil's characteristic, easy, and gentle way, he unpacks for us a little about his journey with this word and just how it's been shaping his life. I spoke with Phil over video call from his home in Greensboro, North Carolina. Phil, I'm wondering if you could share with us a little about your journey with the word mercy. It's a word that I've had in my vocabulary for who knows how long. I've typically associated it with the word grace. But I was invited uh, over a year ago to speak at a conference, and they gave me a theme, and, and mercy is at the heart of it. So I felt very drawn to explore. And since they'd given me a, a year of lead time, <laughs> I didn't have to hurry. And so I just began to, um, I invited the word to be my companion, to walk with me, to be my teacher. To, and so I, I, I feel like um, I spent a year marinating and sometimes stewing and some good reading. I was surprised that not, not a whole lot's been written explicitly about that word, but I found some great reads. It's a word that has become a very, very important companion. How so? Well, I've come to believe some things about God. Perhaps a year or so ago, i I would have said I believe them then, but with much more clarity, I've come to believe that it's the most defining characteristic of God. Wow. If somehow, um, unthinkable as it may seem, uh, God had just one name uh, or one word to describe God, mercy's the word. In fact, Pope Francis uh, said that it is God's name. Hmm. It shows up um, so often in Scripture. Um, 
just in the Psalms 147 times. I would say every page of the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates mercy. I mean, it's it's hard to not demonstrate something when it's who you are. Do you have to help me with it? Because I tend to think of it as a negative, you know, beg for mercy. Yeah, and uh, you remember the, the the games we played when we were kids? I mean, you, you beg mercy. Yeah, you, scream mercy before I quit hurting you, right? Right, right. And so, so there is that, but that seems to be the invitation that Jesus extends. And so he blesses those who are merciful. There's just so many nuances, so many things. Uh, yes, uh, it does have a negative connotation if if you want to be strong, if you want to be in control, if you want to be uh, the you know the person in charge, um, you want to win. But um, I, I I believe that a downward mobility is the Jesus way. There's a humility to the word, isn't there? There is a great humility. This is more recent uh, to my experience, but the word displacement is is a word that I've begun to really um, associate with mercy. Giving mercy, demonstrating mercy, being merciful has a way of displacing us. Hmm. Um, when, when we give mercy... Uh, demonstrate mercy, do mercy, um, there's usually a cost involved. There's, there's usually uh, some uh, setting aside my agenda, rescheduling. <laughs> I think mercy is rarely convenient. For the person giving it. Indeed. It, it has a way of reordering priorities and um, just reshuffling the deck. You know, I thought about Henry now and, and, and his, his journey from academia and kind of stardom, you know, to, to leave the halls of uh, Harvard and, and wind up uh, caring for people with extreme needs. Uh, and talk about displacement, people who, who didn't give a rip about all of his accomplishments. <laughs> right. So it's really good for him in a, in a way. No, no respect for his uh, great intellect and, and all the brilliance that he demonstrated. Uh, it just And so um, all of that got displaced. It got set aside. But um, it opened. It opened him. And that word openness is also a word that I associate now with with mercy. There's um, rarely a hint of mercy when we're closed up, hmm. walled off. Mercy requires a an opening. The giving and receiving? I think so. Goodness, there are days when it's much easier to give it than to receive it. You know, I can uh, I can wear my acts of mercy as as a badge, but um, there's no proud moment associated with receiving it. Again, that's a that's a humbling. I love Nowen's story, and it it gives a credibility to his writing to me. How does mercy tie into that situation? 
it begins with seeing people. And I believe that um, as as Henry grew in his life with God, um, I believe this is true for, for you and for me. We, um, we see and we see more clearly. And so that, uh, that word seeing has become very central. If you don't see people, <laughs> there's, there, there's not going to be, there's not going to be a lot of um, mercy extended. And that's one of the things that just draws me so much to Jesus. He was a seer. He saw people. And so I think of the story of, of him in Simon's home having dinner and an uninvited guest comes barging in and falls at his feet and begins to weep. Apparently not just a tear or two, but she, she must have really been heaving sobs. Uh, enough tears for her, uh, as the story goes, for her to wash his feet. Yeah. Had some tears. This this was a lady who you know had a had a reputation, a not so good one, certainly with Pharisees. And uh, so when she let her hair down, which I, I guess was something she'd done before, as the saying goes. But uh, this was this was a quite different expression. This was something else was going on um, as as she began to use her tears to dry his feet and. Simon is watching all this and thinking things to himself, which Jesus picks up on. And he asks the question, which must have been like other questions that Jesus asked, which seemed to have such obvious answers. Why would you even ask? He asked, Simon, do you see this woman? And that's a startling question. When there's someone standing right in front of you and you're asked, do you see them? It must mean something more than you just recognize an image of visual. Mm-hmm. There's more. There's more. Do you see? Do you, you really see? And I think people who uh, have mercy in their hearts see people. They see deeply. And I think the the seeing um, the seeing triggers a response, and often it's as simple as unmerciful or merciful. What is the relationship between receiving mercy and giving mercy? Complicated, <laughs> but it, it, there is a sense that if you're accustomed to receiving mercy, it's much easier to give mercy. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I, I wonder because I've done things that appeared merciful that I think really, uh, if the truth was known, lacked mercy. Right. They 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 had that appearance, but uh, maybe I'm doing it to promote myself, uh, to feel less guilty, to impress. Um, or uh, to please God, because um, you you you've got to do something to please God, and and so we have to be careful uh, it, and know whether this is truly mercy 
that's being extended. My maternal grandmother used to warn me all the time, um, you be careful the company you keep because you'll, you'll become like them. And uh, I think that's, I think that's always true. And so keeping company with Jesus uh, is a very hopeful thing to me because uh, provides some assurance that if I keep close long enough, that maybe that mercy will find its way into into my being and and my doing. I think when 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 that occurs. Uh, receiving it becomes a different experience too. We see ourselves as in need, and um, there's less resistance, there's less shame, embarrassment, whatever might cause us to otherwise resist it. How does that word enter into your life of prayer? I've spoken the ancient words of how many times, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. The Jesus prayer. And it there's richness. I I feel like I'm much more in tune with what I'm asking when I when I pray those words. And I, I Based on what I said earlier uh, about how I view the word now, that it's God's name, it's a chief characteristic. You know, I find myself when I pray, I want to be like you, which I think is the same as saying I want to be the best me, the me you imagined the me you created me to be. It's another way of praying, God, make me a merciful person. Just as we extend it to ourselves, we, I mean, uh, extend it to others, we we also, one of the things that I'm discovering is, what about me? What about if I'm giving it to others and I see myself in a state of need, Mm -hmm. how, how do I give me mercy. How do you? <laughs> That's a work in progress. <laughs> but I'm learning how by God's mercy. <laughs> and uh, the more I'm able to give it to myself, I-, I seem much more free and able to give mercy to others. There's a verse of something to the effect of the stick we use to uh, judge others we use on ourselves. And you see that people that are really, really hard on themselves, they can't have a tendency to be judgmental or hard on others. But but I, I, don't you want to see people? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So one of the things that I've I, I've been trying to be alert to is what prevents that? What hinders that? What? How does that go sideways? Uh, and I, I think I've identified a few a few reasons. Um, there's there's some refusal in me 
sometimes. I, I refuse to see. I think it's sometimes driven by bias or prejudice, uh, arrogance, presumptiveness. I, I, I presume to know things that I, I have no way of knowing. And so I, I've, I've been looking for ways to uh, right that wrong in me. I, I think the one I, I find myself really struggling with is avoidance. I, there's an awkwardness that comes with seeing. There's feeling of um, inadequacy, I sometimes uh, ill-equipped. I look away because I, I don't know what else to do. Um, I, I think I avoid because um, sometimes I feel guilty. It's actually a pretty long list of the reasons I sometimes avoid. But um, so, I mean, I think one of the classic examples is uh, approaching a stop sign or stoplight, and there's someone with a sign, and all of what I've just described are feelings I've had in that moment. I still wrestle with what is the right, the, the good, the best way to respond. I I don't have had answers for that question. Sure, I ever will. But but I have, I continue to pray for grace to at least see them. And so I'm. it's become a, a, a spiritual discipline. I will not look away, despite whatever uh, discomfort, disease, uh, consternation it might provoke. I'm going to see them, and I want them to know. And I've even said that a few times. And I was feeling really courageous. I see you. Mm. What's been the response? I've gotten a few. Not always pleasant. That's okay. What I'd love, what I'd love to see happen in my life is for this to shift from something I'm working on. It's apparent I'm doing. I'd love for this to be an impulse. A natural response. Yeah. Where it just it just flows. Uh, where it's 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 not so much um, something that I'm trying to to do. It's 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 just in me. It's become natural. I mean, what an instinct! You see that in Jesus, though. Oh my goodness! Yes, and I think it it sometimes left people in awe and amazement. I think. People adored him, and I think people despised him. I have been, I have felt shame sometimes in the presence of someone else's uh, mercy. Toward you or their offering to another? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but for, I, I would say I'm particularly aware of my own, how, we, how I have felt shamed, you know, with questions like, why didn't you do that? Why don't you think to say that? Why Why is that not your instinct? Why, why, why? Yeah, so, you know, I have to be very careful because that kind of shaming, that does not help, and there's no mercy in it for others or for myself.
how does this differ from grace? Uh, I don't know how to tease it out, really. I really don't. You know, uh, some of what I've read were people whose pay grade is way above mine, and they they get into some of the nuances of the biblical words. I mean, there there are I I, I believe so many interchangeable words: um, passion, tenderheartedness, caring. I, I reached a point where I realized. Um, you know what I really need is is some kind of a I need a working definition and um I landed on on this uh, mercy occurs whenever the person from whom I have a right to expect absolutely nothing gives me everything. Can you say that again? That mercy occurs whenever the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That That is 110 proof, straight up mercy. And so in that particular way, it's very similar to grace because it's, it's not a thing that um, is deserved or can be earned either. It's sheer and utter gift. I mean, when I cry mercy and I'm given it, but that even makes it seem conditional. And that, again, is the thing about uh, about Jesus that just slays me. Before I ask, it's been offered. I think of, uh, you know, Paul's words, uh, while we were his enemy, Christ, uh, in effect, demonstrated his mercy. And so uh, it's not one of those things that you have to apply for, qualify. Uh, it's it's already been given before we ask. I, I also like to, to think of it in these terms, uh, just the way the words flow. Um, I think mercy is, um, is is that thing that happens when we have a heart for someone's troubles. So I think the seeing provokes a feeling, and then it's a very, there, there's never mercy without action. So the, the, one of the stories that I've fallen in love with again, but I think at a, a deeper level, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Because the first two folks who pass by, I don't want to judge them. I I don't know their story. I don't know what's going on in their life. Dear friend uh, taught me years ago, Phil, you can see a person's behavior, and sometimes it can be very ugly, but you've never seen a motive. And um, I've come to believe that's true, that we can't see people's motives. We can think we do. but. I've had to question my own enough times uh, to realize I don't even know my own. <laughs> Why would I presume to know others? So I don't judge those two who, you know, passed by on the other side. Um, might have had good reason, and they might have seen and felt something. They might have gone home that evening and told someone, "I saw the most tragic thing today." Um, 
I felt so sad. That might be some kind of mercy, but I'd call it something else. Uh, I think true mercy is active. It doesn't allow you to just see and feel. It it um, compels you to to act, to to go, to go to the person, uh, to to do something. And wow, that. That good Samaritan has—he's um, now on my list of people I want to sit down and spend a hundred years with. And <laughs> I've got some questions for him. This—the story does give a sense that it was a natural impulse. Oh goodness! It worked yes. its way in habitually. Um, you know, thinking about those first two, and then the, the good Samaritan. Maybe they didn't have uh, the supplies that he had. Maybe they kept going because they they were ill-equipped. That's my excuse some days. You know, I don't I don't know how to do CPR. I don't know how to. But but he had the goods. He seemed to be. Maybe he was just one of those guys who never leaves home without first aid kit. I, <laughs> But he probably had it for himself, not not necessarily anticipating using it for someone else. And and I just I just love uh, how involved he was in this man's terrible plight, and and then to uh, to be so enduring in, in the way he cared to take him to a place to. Yeah, what I, I learned was about perhaps enough money to care for the fellow for two or three weeks. But then I, the words that I've particularly fallen in love with are the end of the story, which isn't really the end, which is so like Jesus to tell us part of a story. But it, at least at the end of what Jesus told, uh, he says, uh, I, you know, I, I will return. I, you will see me again. And, and, and you know, that, may, that might have been a matter of convenience. Uh, he may have known I'm going to be coming back this way, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, and I think that's another characteristic of true mercy, the best mercy there is. It's enduring. It lasts. You know, it's not a, it's not a flyby, not a touch and go. It's, uh, and that is so the heart of God. In some way connected to that idea of being interruptible, being able to, I mean, to see people means letting go of our agenda for the day or the moment, in a sense. I, I think it might even ultimately mean having no personal agenda. I can already hear the jeers. Uh, <laughs> but again, Jesus was so open and available. And he, he declares it. Uh, you know, I don't have a will of my own. Um, it's my will to do the will of the one who sent me. And you can call that a luxury. Um, I, and it does seem luxurious to me. I also think it, it's it's a choice we can make. 
There's a freedom in that. My running my agenda often makes me miserable and those around me. I think I've spent a lot of my life trying to justify another way of saying proving my worth and just um, having that openness, that availability that might make me appear very insignificant, unimportant. You know, people might just ask, don't you have anything to do? (laughs) Well, there's back to now and right to walk away from what he had to just learn to love well. A few months back, we had a conversation on the podcast about, you know, how the changes in society and the pandemic and how one of the words you said there that's really stuck with me is grief and how there's this kind of collective grief. If, if, if we, you know, not everybody's tuned into that, but it's, it's there one way or the other. How does the word mercy or, or how is that helpful or are there places for us today in in is a time of great uncertainty? I mentioned earlier that um mercy is costly. You will pay if you if you choose to um have mercy, to demonstrate mercy. It, I mean, back to the Good Samaritan, and and I think one of the one of the prices paid is grief, because there there is an entering into with another person that's the meaning of compassion. You feel it. Before we got on this call, I was um, with someone whose um, life has just been very difficult. A, a very gifted person, uh, great talent, so much to so much to offer and so willing to give. I worked really hard um, to get a degree in counseling and no sooner had they gotten their degree and begun to set up their practice, they had a stroke. And um, we spent some time together, um, her talking about her losses, which is another way of saying, we talked about her, her grief, and I, I came away from that conversation having grieved myself and feeling some of that again now. Hard work takes something out of you, which is, a, is such an interesting phrase, uh, takes something out of you, displacement, setting your stuff over to the side makes space for another person's uh, struggle. Perhaps that's sounding so so grim. Um, I would say I, I felt like I'd been given a wonderful gift, a rare gift of my friend's vulnerability, something really to cherish. And so there was an intimacy in our exchange, which I think every heart yearns for. I asked my friend, do you know I see you? There's a Hebrew word that's closely associated with mercy, 
that is is actually the word for womb. And and so the connection was made when the I mean there's no safer place. We've we've just uh celebrated the birth of a grandchild and um I have this cherished memory of of his uh of his mom, my daughter-in-law, um late in her pregnancy. The look on her face as she would rub her belly um suggested to me it was like I can't wait to get my hands on you. There's no safer place in the world for a baby to be than in their mother's womb. I mean, everything is provided. There's you have to do nothing but just float around in there. And and so, I, 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 as soon as he's born, uh, he's not as safe. You know, he'll be, he'll get hurt. And and so, when I think about the Good Samaritan and how he went to him and then took him to an inn. I get the picture of him taking this this mortally wounded soul to what could be metaphorically thought of as as a womb. You you're not in any kind of condition to care for yourself. Uh, this has reduced you. So I'm going to take you to a place where you won't have to do anything for yourself, where it can be done for you, and and you can be protected because obviously you're terribly vulnerable. That's mercy. Boom. And so uh, sometimes when I pray about mercy, I get real carried away. It's obviously when I'm not worried worried at all about what people might think if they knew my thoughts. And here I am disclosing them. <laughs> Maybe it's the riskiest prayer a person could pray. Uh, God, I, I'd like to be a womb. Like I believe Jesus was, um, vulnerable people were safe with him. Uh, I love seeing how he defended defenseless people, like the woman. And the woman was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus and slung at his feet. He became a womb for her. Those, I've, I've, uh, have you ever wondered? If they'd, if they'd started throwing the rocks, what Jesus would have done? <laughs> no. I don't know, obviously, but I've, I've wondered if he might have thrown his body over hers. Much easier to imagine that he would. Even begs the question, why wouldn't he? I mean, that's what he's, he's going to do eventually anyway. <laughs> right. Well, and the... The wonderful thing about this analogy is wombs give way to new life. And there's something very practical about mercy in terms of our own transformation and who we become. And that's why I said earlier, Jesus didn't finish the story. We don't know what kind of person that man became whose life was probably saved. Uh, we, you know, tell me more about the Good Samaritan. I mean, well, there's more to that story, but Jesus told as much of it as uh, as he knew we needed to hear. But it's hard to imagine um, it, it, it not dramatically affecting that man for the rest of his life. It just occurred to me, literally just occurred, you created a safe 
womb-like place for me to really open myself. I'm already laying back some of what I've said and wondering, am I going to be glad tomorrow I said that? There were a few times I thought, dude, you're talking a lot. Let Nathan say something. And my response to myself was, he's the reason you're talking so much. (laughs) He's set you up. I mean, I I do get kind of... um, I get going on this stuff because it's just, it's working on me, Nate. I see that. I've seen that. You ever see the movie uh, Awakenings? Mm. Yeah, Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. Wow. Remember the scene where he is sitting with the nurse who was about the only support he had? Okay. And he's, the brother is just in despair, weeping. I mean, watching these people lapse back into oblivion. And God, this scene, Robin Williams was just a genius. He says to the nurse, you you told me I was a kind man. How kind is it to give life only to take it away again? And she says, it's given and taken away from all of us. <laughs> and he asks, why doesn't that comfort me? <laughs> she responds, because you're a kind man. And so if you want to be comfortable, stay away from mercy. Because it's not, it's, if you want to be kind. Yeah, run to it. That was Phil Anderson. Phil's authored a number of books, including Running on Empty, Contemplative Spirituality for Overachievers. You can find out more information about Phil's work at philanderson.com. That's Phil, F-I-L. Oh, and his newsletter is worth signing up for. Each week he offers some really helpful prayers. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast, a podcast made possible by donations from people like you. You can support this work with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort which offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email podcast at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Other music is by Lee Rosevere. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well. <laughs>